welcome to Supply Chain Radio. It's Greg Kiefer. Today I'm joined by Eric Johnson from American Shipper Magazine. Eric, welcome to the show again. You've been on it before, I believe, a few times. Yeah, thanks so much for having you me. You might actually be one of our regulars. We could call you, uh, who was it on The Tonight Show that used to sub for Johnny Carson? Leno. Leno, absolutely. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll be your Leno yes, for Yes, sure, you can so. have my seat when I retire, if that's okay. <laughs> Keep it warm. All right, all right. So today, I, I thought what we would talk about is global trade management, also as an acronym, because supply chainers love acronyms. We love GTM, them. right? Love GTM. I don't know. I feel like I've observed it, dealt with it for a lot of years. It seems like there's a lot of different versions of what GTM really includes, encompasses. There's probably one common thing, which is kind of trade regulations and customs. How would you define GTM based on just on your experience working in the space for all these years? You know, it's similar to a lot of other things that people have to be mindful of. There's not really one definition of it. Every company will have a different definition, you know, and it also gets a little bit confused with transportation management, that TM piece. So historically, global trade management was sort of strictly trade compliance and from a technology perspective, it was automating trade compliance, documentation, sometimes some strategy around how you, you know, manage duties. It's come in the last few years to encompass a lot more than that. So you can think of global trade management as automating trade documentation, generation, strategizing around duties, but you can also think about it encompassing things like supply chain finance, things, even logistics. You know, you can kind of put those under a single umbrella where you're sort of managing or orchestrating those all in concert more than you ever did before. Whereas instead of thinking of them as a sequential thing where you have to, you know, sort of automate the documentation generation and then worry about the logistics of it. No, I think sophisticated companies are now thinking of global trade management as all of that stuff under one kind of umbrella. So would that sit in the department of compliance or is that more of a transportation function now? And yeah. what department would it sit in? That's a great question. I think for the most part, most companies still have it housed within a compliance or a legal or a risk kind of department or function. I can probably count on less than two hands the number of companies that have all of that rolled under one roof and are handling it in a really coordinated way with a homogenous team. Right, right. Now, for a lot of years, I, I don't know, I, maybe I'm jaded or something, but I always felt like when you looked at regulatory stuff, to get it right was all about staying out of jail or not getting fined. Right. Versus when you look at other technologies, it's sort of like digital transformation, right? Yep. Has GTM moved away from like you know, getting arrested right, to, right, to right. taking your keep company you to the of, next keep level. You out of trouble. Yeah. yeah, no, that's a great. That's also a great point. It's always been seen as a well. Look, supply chain as a whole has traditionally been seen as a cost center. Sure. You know, so how can I minimize those costs as much as possible and still get the job done? So across the board, things are changing. Across the board now, supply chain is considered a an enabler, a differentiator, more and more. I think trade compliance is still seen as that okay, when I get slapped on the wrist, that's when it's time for me to do something. Or when I see my competitor get slapped on the wrist with something that I know that I'm doing, then it's time to do something. Right. And this gets back to that kind of new definition of GTM. I think what you can now do is start to say, well, if I'm taking a proactive approach to complying with that regulatory stuff that could get me into trouble, then that's helping every other downstream activity. So all of a sudden your logistics is cleaner and it's more straightforward and more effective. 
because you are looking at the regulatory side of things with a more proactive kind of approach. Right. That's a big change. Sure. But for sure, there's still the lion's share of companies are still looking at it as purely risk avoidance, and they're sort of waiting for something bad to happen. Right, and, and of course with the Trump administration, anti-trade, a little bit of protectionism policy, whether it sticks or not, it remains to be seen, but you know, they've already backed out of TPP, they're challenging NAFTA, et cetera. Does that change the dynamics here? I think what you have to do is be ready for a lot of different scenarios. So if you are a multinational global shipper and you're not thinking about the way you know, our involvement or not just our involvement, but other countries, you know, who are rethinking the way Brexit's a perfect example. If you're not thinking about, you know, worst case, best case, most likely case scenarios of how these trade policy shifts are going to happen and what that does to your supply chain, then you're going to be in bad shape when one of those scenarios actually comes to pass. And, and if you're using some sort of global trade management technology, those type of what-if scenarios are a lot easier to undertake. Right, right. I mean, you and I talk a lot about visibility and, you know, we talk about disruptions, you know, when a disaster happens or something. And I suppose this could be called a man-made disruption where you didn't do yeah. the right stuff with your yeah. GTM and your stuff isn't getting cleared. It's not coming off the Yeah, port. if you're an exporter, you classify a product incorrectly, you're looking at not just a huge disruption, you're looking at a penalty, you're looking at increased scrutiny down the road from customs agencies. So yeah, that's absolutely, it's an error by omission a lot of times that can be just as impactful as a port strike, you know, for sure. that individual company. Right, right. It's one of the many things that yeah. can mess up a nice, well-orchestrated plan. Yep. But as we all know, that the greatest plans don't always come to fruition in the real world of a global supply chain. They never do. Supply chain, they never right? do. There's no, never perfect scenario. Exactly. So. so now, you know, you write for American Shipper, but in your day job, I guess, or your other day job, it's, you're doing a lot of research and writing a lot of papers. And you recently did a study on GTM. And maybe just share with us a couple of the key big findings of that. So we do a landscape, a GTM landscape report every year, usually first quarter, which we did, of course, this year as well. And, and really the theme this year was there's so much uncertainty swirling around, you know, and this was like January, February when we were putting this together. So there was even more uncertainty. I think to a certain extent, things have settled down a little bit, but we looked at kind of, there are all these external kind of dynamics that you are potentially facing. The only thing you can control is what's inside of your, inside of your four walls. You really, it's hard to control anything else. That's a logistics perspective. That's a trade compliance perspective. So why not get that in order and focus on what you can control? And that's going to give you better agility to adapt to whatever crazy scenario. Those things that you're game planning for that you don't know which way it's going to break, you're going to be in a much better position. That was sort of the theme behind this year's report. We also, in, in late May, released our annual import-export compliance benchmark study, and, and there was some interesting stuff about there, about just how impacted shippers would be or are being by, for instance, withdrawal from NAFTA. I mean, I think we saw something like 80 to 85% of shippers that we surveyed were going to be somewhat to significantly impacted by the withdrawal of NAFTA, which just was formalized in the mid of mid-May, I think. So... You know, other things like rising protectionism is certainly a concern for something like, you know, two-thirds to three-quarters of shippers. Lots of data points indicating concern about the way things are going and a hope that I think things will sort of 
not get too crazy. Right. Now, did you see a break or a more severe impact for, say, a, a retailer that imports primarily versus a, an ag company that's exporting primarily? Is either side bleaker than the other? Or you, know, it's, you know what was interesting is we didn't see, for a lot of the protectionist kind of stuff that we asked about, we didn't see a huge dichotomy between importers and exporters. There was actually a pretty even level of concern. Part of that is because, and this is something that's not, I don't think, really well understood by those who are kind of, you know, seeking to inhibit imports, in, especially into North America, is something like three quarters of the respondents to our survey import and export. So it's not a binary issue for these companies. They have to consider impacts on both sides of this. Right. So the one area that we did see is a little bit of a divergence between manufacturers and retailers, especially, is on the border adjustment tax, which you know at various times has been kind of claimed to be dead in the water, but it keeps kind of resurfacing. And certainly import retailers could not be more strongly against it. That's pretty public and it came through in our studies as well about the impacts that would have. Whereas you know, for exporters, they don't have as big concerns about that. Their main thing is like better at market access in China and, and other markets. So that's that's their primary concern. You know, I don't think the bat is going to be super influential. To right. Well, it'll be interesting to see how exports. politically it works out because on one hand, the administration is anti-trade or protectionist, but they're also anti-regulation. So right. how does that balance right. out in the I long know. run? That you is, know, that's something that I think has not been fully explained by the folks pushing this is that, well, first of all, the folks pushing the bat are primarily outside of the administration. It's more the congressional leadership. So that may be why those messages are a little bit mixed. I also don't think that the administration is as anti-trade as they sort of ran on in, in early days. I think, like any president, you're in the job for a few months and you start to realize how important it is to, you know, kind of maintain diplomatic relations and that's all, you know, good stuff. Right, but. right. Well, and again, if you want to have a good economy, uh, you, you know, you don't want to just make it harder for right. U.S. companies to operate. Globally, you know, there's a ton of jobs tied to retail trade, and there's you know supply chains are based on that, and a ton of jobs tied to the supply chain as well. So right, all right. So let's go. Let's look ahead. If you could give some advice to our listeners that are thinking about this or worried about it, what would you tell them? Well, you know, what would it be two or three things you might say? Hey, look out for this or consider this for yeah. the next 12 to 18 months. Well, first of all, I think every company. I mean, they should be doing this annually at the least. I should say is take a hard look at what your sort of supplier footprint looks like and marry that against some of the trade policy changes that are being talked about. So if you are a company that uses North America as a you know, sort of single integrated supply chain market, that may change once NAFTA is renegotiated. So map all that stuff out. I would, you know, one of the things that we've been talking about is just highlight to your local state federal representatives the importance of trade in general. I mean, that's just an easy kind of, that's not a strategic thing, but that's something that, you know, they need to hear from the industry. And then technology. I mean, we, we sort of have this blanket advocacy for technology, but I mean, the simple fact is, you know, companies ignoring, adapting, and, you know, adopting technology into their processes are going to do so at their own peril. So there's lots of like easy entry points into automating things. It doesn't have to be this, you know, monstrous three-year kind of approach. You can automate classifying your products. You can automate generating trade documents. It's, there's some baby steps you can take. Right. So. And, and we've said, we've used the word America and U.S. a lot, but the fact is this 
Oh, it's basic thesis would work for if you're everywhere. a company in Europe. Or in, fact, in fact, you could make the case it's more important in other regions where there's more opacity around like trade regulations. And I think more is known about North American market in that regard than other markets. So yeah, it's critically important wherever you're operating. All right. So if I'm interested in learning about some of this great work that you've been doing, where should people go to get some of this stuff? Yeah, our website is americanshipper.com. We have a tab, a research tab, where you can download anything that we've released in the last year, including those two reports. I mentioned, and yeah, yeah that's the it's really good way. stuff. I mean, you, you guys are doing a really great job there. So thanks for coming on the show, Eric. Absolutely. We'll have you on again, I think. I have a feeling I'm going to get you back sometime. This is Greg, Supply Chain Radio. We're signing off. <laughs> <laughs>